When I think about joy through the lens of sustainability or joy through the lens of authentic knowing, if each person, could you get in touch within your own body or within your memory if your body isn't safe yet? Is there a memory of joy that you can distinguish as separate from trying, separate from earnest? Joy is separate from peace. Joy is separate from having something. Joy is separate from arrival. Joy is separate, like really letting the petals fall off so that there's just joy. But I think if we can actually distinguish that within ourselves, then it becomes like a compass for us to know the difference between when joy is joy and when I'm trying to feel better. Those are different things and we need joy because joy is a really sacred ingredient to our mental health. So I think of it like we, I go after it, I chase joy, I preserve it, I seek it. I'm an active pursuit of joy. I'm not plastering it on my face or buying the t-shirt, right? But I am becoming the very thing I'm after. Welcome to the Living Centered Podcast, a show from the humans at OnSite. If you're new to this space and just beginning this journey, we hope these episodes are an encouragement, a resource, and an introduction to a new way of being. And if you're well into your journey and perhaps even made a pit stop at OnSite's Living Centered program or one of our other experiences, we hope these episodes are a nudge back towards the depth, connection, and authenticity you found. In this season, we sat down with a dozen of our favorite experts and emotional health sojourners to dig into the topics that are top of mind for all of us. Transition, relationships, trauma, just to name a few. Part practical resource and part honest storytelling that will have you silently nodding along, me too. This podcast was curated with you in mind. So with that, let's dive in. Hey friends, we are so excited about today's episode. We got to sit down with podcast friend Elise Snipes. She is what I would call an unconventional therapist, right? She's the host of the Trailer Cast podcast. She's the founder of Radical Wellness, and I just love her. We brought her in for a conversation all about play and joy and fun, and I thought it was going to be really light and fun and like, how did you find joy? And in fact, it was a really deep and beautiful, rich conversation that flipped a lot of what I thought I knew on its head. What about you, Hannah? Yeah, I don't know about you, but I really think I needed this conversation. I needed Mm -hmm. to have permission and invitation for joy in my life and play. But yeah, I mean, when I tell you that Elise helped me see things in ways that I've never seen them before, I'm not kidding. So concepts I thought I knew or felt like I had a grasp on, she really just turned them upside down in a really kind and gentle inviting way that just really gives me a lot of freedom to approach inner child work and play and joy and fun in a whole new way. So I'm so excited for this conversation and I'm ready to dive in. Well, Elise, I am so excited to be chatting with you. You are one of my favorite people, and I, as I was telling Hannah, just was finding an excuse to bring you back on. You are a two-peat <laughs> to the Living Center podcast. and so, Two-peat. Two-peat. Today, we are diving into the topic of reclaiming and kind of rediscovering play and fun. Um, so mm-hmm. I was wondering, what's the most fun thing you've done lately? Because we're right near Halloween, my most favorite fun thing we've done is just all of our Halloween costumes. So the idea of dress up and role and embodiment 
and becoming, you know, all those really like rich textury kind of things come to mind, the opportunity to play something else. Hmm. What are you and your family going to be for Halloween? Um, I'm going as glitter uh, this year. That's incredible. <laughs> just, just the thing, glitter itself. It's amazing. As just the thing. So I, oh my I mean, gosh. Eight, yeah, head to toe. I'll be in I like honestly mm-hmm. couldn't think of a more appropriate <laughs> costume for this topic. Honestly, yeah, just, just we're talking about fun, that. and you're literally going as glitter. That's perfect. Oh, I'm hosting this five month guided experience right now. So mm-hmm. there's seven of us women. We're doing the heroine's journey, mm. and at the end of each phase of the heroine's journey, one of our meetings, we actually we did a dress up night. And so we all dressed up as like, like either the stage of the journey we're in or the actual like inner child Mm. as a response, Mm. right. To the archetype. So we have just been dress up as everywhere recently. And it was a lot of fun dressing up with all adults that it wasn't Mm -hmm. like a trick. The dress up was reveal, Mm. right. We weren't trying to be something we're not. We were actually coming as the very thing we are. So that Mm. was that was epic. That was, that was the best. That's so powerful. I love it. I love this idea of it revealing versus like coming as something you aren't, because I think even mm-hmm. this topic can feel like if someone tells you as an adult who hasn't tapped into their inner child, hasn't tapped into that part of them, that's probably been long lost, I think mm-hmm. for a lot of reasons, and we can get into like what the barriers are. But it can feel like someone's asking you to put on clothes that aren't yours. Mm -hmm, And so I'd love to hear a little bit about that journey of how do we start to do this in a way that feels like we're revealing rather than putting on clothes that don't fit. And I'd add, like, how does revealing feel safe to someone who maybe is more comfortable wearing a costume? Like, the the concept of revealing my Mm -hmm. inner self or whatever sounds terrifying to me right now. I'm like, oh, I'd rather go be like a referee tonight, you know, than like whatever that I'm going to choose to dress up as. So yeah, how, how do we do that? How do we, how does that feel safe to start to reveal those parts of ourselves? All right, friends, before we get to Elisa's answer to Hannah's brilliant question, I want to stop and just provide a disclaimer. Whatever your familiarity is with the concept of inner child, whether you've been doing this exploration for decades or it is a brand new concept to you, I believe this next section is going to change your entire understanding of this topic. I recognize that that is a bold claim, but it really was a paradigm-shifting conversation and exploration and definition of inner child for both Hannah and myself. So I can't wait for you to hear it. Let's jump in and hear Elise's answer. I want to maybe start with like who or actually the inner child is, because I think that that might help give us some clear parameters on what we're trying to uncover or recover. So a couple of years ago, I was genuinely looking through trying to find my birth certificate. And I was have been on this joy journey myself wondering what it has to do with anything with what does it have to do with my work? What's it have to do with my motherhood? What's it have to do with just me, Elise, just myself. And on my birth certificate lined up are my parents' names and their middle names are front and center smack dab in the middle of my birth certificate. And it says chase joy. 
I have never seen it as a, like a declaration, but I felt my birth certificate, like literally my birth certificate, my first document about me. And on there was this like command, almost a command Mm. invitation, reminder, chase joy, Mm -hmm. chase joy. And I saw it and I thought I, I, there is something here for me. And so that's kind of been, that was a pivotal like moment to Mm. literally find something of old. And where I think that has to tie into inner child for me is typically as therapists, we hold the idea. I do not, but it is what has been held is that the inner child or all these ages of us that we go back to repair in order to integrate into our current self where we have access then to all of our healed parts. Okay. And maybe we think of that like a Russian stacking doll, right? They're all within, they are all whole, they're all a part of us and they're accessible. We don't forget, we don't, we, we haven't lost them, us. Yeah. But the way that I hold inner child for, for me is working through the concept that, okay, I think people are afraid that if they go back, that their inner child's going to be like this sad girl inside them or that yeah. she's like this wounded creature or this delicate mm-hmm. flower or the girl who wasn't asked to prom. Like there's like these really interesting projections that we carry about the wounded inner child. And even as we can hear, there's we already have a name for her. Like she's already like mm-hmm. this wounded, I don't know. And that's not the inner child to me. The inner mm-hmm. child is actually the one who has and is current, has persevered, is and has always been integrated, is connected to deep knowing, like deep origin knowing, isn't stuck in time. So she isn't eight. She isn't two. She isn't 16. Um, mm. The inner child is the eternal child. It's the one who is always centered and connected to our highest and vast, most expansive eternal self. Yeah. <laughs> That's a beautiful way of looking at it. I hadn't really, mm-hmm. I think we often do just think of that wounded part of us. And I think that can make sense in context when we need to do some repair around a moment of our of our um, past or of our family of origin. I know oftentimes at onsite we'll do work and it's like, oh, identify, where are you in this piece? Oh, I was seven and I was feeling this way. But that's such a good encouragement to say like that is a piece and that is a mm-hmm. moment that your inner child maybe experienced or you, I, Hannah, experienced, but that inner child is more encompassing. It's more expansive. It's more present and current um, and an invitation to really access it right now too. It's not just something we have to keep in the past. I've come and done some of those programs as well in regards to doing like psychodrama and identifying the inner child and identifying the age and so forth. And it's so helpful. The age is so such a neat piece because we are living on a timeline here. But if we even in that schema, even in that picture could say, and where is my inner child in this? Because remember, she's not the seven-year-old. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. So that was just younger you, not inner child. Mm, that's mm-hmm. good. That's good. It's a good distinction. That's a big distinction. Because if you're thinking about it in all these like static moments, if that's your inner child, then it's really hard to integrate. And also who then the process of like connecting with your inner child means going back to some of the hardest parts of your story and you're going into a feeling like, I actually don't want to do that. And you want me to have fun while thinking about the hardest parts of my story? That's interesting. I've It just feels like it is 
on its head for how I've often thought about inner child. Yeah, a couple years ago, I actually got to lead some of the on-site alums in an mm-hmm. inner child workshop out here yeah. in, mm-hmm. um, cool. in San Clemente. And there was a moment of flipping it on its head there too. They were, they, obviously, if you've been to on-site, you know, you go and you do deep work, deep yeah. restorative, reparative to the roots, you know, to the bones type of work. And the entire day was set up on, on play and, um, and that the, the spontaneity, you know, like you have like that, that, there's like an idea that comes in, like it's an idea, it's a spark, it's a whim, it's like smelling cookies baking, it's something you notice. It's like, what is that? And, and the experience was set up to honor whatever our inner child wanted to do that day. And I think sometimes we can forget that, that we, we, we again, have versions of us, old pieces of us set up on a timeline, but again, really differentiating us. Yeah. from core self and my inner child and I come from a exceptionally traumatic childhood my inner child has always been alive and well mm-hmm. she is who got me here she and her creativity and um gosh her dress up even and uh, dissociation as a form of imagination all of those skills that she possesses to allow me to endure survive are not wounded Right. Like she's totally okay. Hmm. This distinction is um, kind of blowing my mind a little bit. I'm like literally sitting here and I'm like, I've thought about it all wrong. And I've done so much work around this. Um, but it's really freeing to be like, that's mm-hmm. not what that is. And I can really honor little Hannah in all the little yes. phases that she's been through. And she can still teach me stuff too. But it's like another part of me. When I think about like present me and past me and future me, there's also inner child me that is all of it, you know? Mm-hmm. And I, I love that invitation because as someone who's kind of uncomfortable with my childhood or past or thinking about that, it it's not just those moments that is this invitation to, you know, like my inner mm-hmm. child is so wise and has so much to teach yeah. me currently. And yes, I can go back with my inner child self and all of that too, little me, and do, do what I need to do around some of that work. Work, but that it's also not all about that. It's about how are we integrating that inner child, that that kindness, that curiosity, that courage, all that our inner child has to teach us into our present and future selves as well. Yes. Hmm. Well, and Hannah, you just kind of did all of a sudden I see you're like, oh, I got it. Right. Like yeah. you unhooked, yeah. <laughs> right? Right. She came outside of time. She's not stuck yeah. back there. And it also answers the question for me around the safe container, which is Yeah. My right now self is my safe container for yeah. my inner child and all the parts of me. And so now my joy has a lot more room. Yeah. Like, mm. Because the inner, the younger wounded versions of self, they need a lot of safety. They right. need, right? But inner child is already free. That's, they are free. Children are free. They're so free. Yeah. Mm. That was yeah. good. I got to go like take a few laps now and just <laughs> take a nap and call my therapist real quick. So something new. <laughs> no, it's amazing. I mean, I really That's hope that awesome. people listening can also like take a few moments if that is a new thing. And maybe it's not. Mm-hmm. Maybe I'm, uh, you know, alone in that boat. But that is it's just it is really freeing to say like mm-hmm. as someone. Yeah. Who I, I'm an Enneagrammy. I'm really like protective and justice oriented. And so like yeah. I want to defend my what I've formerly called my inner child, you know, like. I want to defend those little parts of me because it does feel wounded. And knowing yeah. that, like, I don't have to defend my inner child because they're there to, like, 
provide safety for me is a really beautiful groundwork to like explore play, to explore fun. I think that does answer the question of like, how do we create safety in it? Oh, it's already there. Like that's not those moments of hurt, those moments of wounding. Yeah, we're almost yeah. like disintegrating. We're taking, you know, making things separate in order to hold them as separate so we can then come back and have clear integration. It's not messy, you know, it actually feels very, oh, like I can see that now. Hey friends, Mackenzie here. I wanted to quickly interrupt this interview to share a short story with you. A few years ago, I was listening to an onsite alum share their story and something clicked inside of me. I realized that while nothing was wrong in my life, I actually began to wonder if there was more I was missing. What if the overwhelming feeling of anxiety and stress that I had just accepted as my normal didn't have to be a part of my life? What if my relationships didn't drain me and I could actually set the boundaries to create the type of relationships I wanted to exist in? What if I could interrupt the narratives that I had just accepted as fact? Shortly after, I attended Onsite's Living Center program, and I started on my own journey of more. More peace, more clarity, more fun, more wholeness. I want to invite you to explore that more. There's nothing wrong with you. But what if there's more? If you've been considering an on-site program for a while, or if this is the very first time, I invite you to dare to consider the possibility that the more you're seeking is actually something we all deserve. You can explore our offerings at experienceonsite.com or connect with one of our incredible admissions team members at 1-800-341-7432. They'd love to have a confidential call with you and connect you to the right resource for you. I feel like a lot of the questions I have prepared feel like they are pushing up against this idea too. Like, okay, how do we lose our inner child? And so we're not actually, like, maybe how do we disconnect from our inner child if she's, if they are always there? Because I think in my mind, I'm like, we've, we've disconnected from them. We've been like, hey, you don't get to talk in this realm. Mm-hmm. And so I wonder what some of those barriers to this work are. And is that even mm-hmm. framed in the right way of the way we should be thinking I about know, it, right? you know? Yeah, I I mean, I think frame is key because we're only going to ask questions that lead us to, like we're already closing the answers, the options for the answers. If we ask questions that are framed towards, well, what if I haven't lost my inner child, you know? So, um, because typically what I understand just as an, just archetypally that the inner child is going to find a way and has a voice, they have lost nothing, right? And so, um, whether or not we heed that, whether or not my inner child now feels like rebellion or now feels mm. like, um, could feel like a lot of things. I was struck by this idea that joy can feel like rebellion. I asked Elise to expound on this idea and share how this concept has shown up in her own life. What she shared was challenging and invigorating for me in this season of my life as a mother. But also, she shared a really beautiful encouragement for us all who are just simply existing in the world as humans right now. I don't know about you, but the world feels heavy. There's tragedy and despair and sadness all around me. And Elise shared how we can hold two things at the same time, tragedy and joy. So for me right now, when I think about joy as rebellion, I feel like I am rebelling against um, previous episodes of depression for myself. 
it's a joy rebellion. When I think about, um, be, I have a, I'm a mom of three kids and I don't see a lot of joyful moms, to be honest. I don't see a lot of women as mothers that are like, and I don't mean like I'm happy. That's not the same thing, but I mean like a joyful mother that is a rebellion to me against the construct of motherhood, which feels relatively oppressed or relatively stuck or relatively frazzled. And that doesn't mean I don't have all of those things. But when I am in joy, in motherhood, I am rebelling against the story I've been sold about what motherhood is. Yeah. Hmm. Okay. Simultaneously, I think at the world at large, like the big stage of what's going on in the Middle East how do I hold both? And I'm a Jewish person. So how do I hold both massive, m- the most atrocious tragedy and to live my joy is a rebellion against the way it's always been, right? Like that mm. I can't, joy, joy is my evidence of life in a way. Like it's, it's Laheim. It's, it's joy now. It's life now. Why do we need to do that? And why is that like, healthy for us as individuals, for our communities, for our families. Because I think I love that concept of joy as a rebellion, and I think it is very true. And I can picture it a little bit on, like, a Hobby Lobby poster, you know? like, <laughs> And I, like, I want people to have depth to it because I feel it from you that it is really mm. deep and that it does mm-hmm. feel um, whole and healing for you, and I yeah, want yeah. that for myself. But, like, how is that not just, like, an motivational poster? Like, why? Why would I need to be joyful? And what is the difference between happiness and joyful? Because I think it's, like, people think, like, oh, <laughs> you know, joy is a rebellion. I'm going to go like xyz whatever makes me happy but it's like why do we need that why do we need to have fun why do we need to be joyful what's the benefit for us Mm. and for our health and for the communities that we abide in it's a good question um something just around like the the cheap factor because there is something about that where um enneagram four so i think people know the difference in themselves when they are experiencing like deep joy versus trying to cheer up or trying to practice gratitude. Mm. So when I think about the joy through the lens of sustainability or joy through the lens of authentic knowing, mm-hmm. um, if each person could, even people who are listening or ourselves, right? Could you get in touch within your own body or within your memory, if your body isn't safe yet, is there a memory of joy that you can distinguish as separate from trying, separate from earnest. Joy is separate from peace. Joy is separate from having something. Joy is separate from arrival. Joy is separate, like really letting the petals fall off so that there's just joy. I think if we can remember that, we get kind of get familiar with it. We're like, oh yeah, no, no, I do know what that is. Or I remember, and -hmm. it could have been finishing the most epic book and being like, ah, it just blew my mind or just the perfect day at the beach or your child smiling at you for the first time. It just, it does, it could be a bunch of little micro moments, right? But I think if we can actually distinguish that within ourselves, then it becomes like a compass for us to know the difference between when joy is joy and when I'm trying to feel better. Hmm. Mm. Those are different things. And we need joy because joy is a really sacred ingredient to our mental health. So yeah. I think of it like we, I go after it. I chase joy. I preserve it. I seek it. I, I'm an active pursuit of mm-hmm. joy. Yeah. Now, 
I'm not plastering it on my face or buying the t-shirt, right? But I am becoming the very thing I'm after. I am mm. embodying and becoming joy. I'm not trying to go, I'm certainly not trying to go and tell the people that this is what they should do. Right. Yeah. I mean, that really brings me back to what you said about your birth certificate, that like that is your your birthright, really. You know, like you from the moment you stepped into this world. But I love that, that that was like, mm-hmm. this is yours and this is available to you. And this yes. is a part of you. This is you. I from like, the beginning. Yeah, from the beginning. Yeah. And yeah. we lose, I mean, so many of us don't lose it. I know that's not it, but we lose sight of it or mm-hmm. we disconnect with it. Life happens, right? See, yeah, this is, life. This is the part that like blew my mind is before a single day, right, of my life, before hmm. really devastating things occurred, yeah. Chase Joy was there. But I will say something about lineage and birthright as well. When I do think about myself as an individual and then myself as a part of the collective, I do believe that there is something there for me personally. And I, and I, in the same way that I'm not, when someone says, Hey, Elise, I'm not like, Hey, who are they talking to? I know my name, right. When it's called, that's my name. Mm -hmm. Okay. I'm not, I don't wonder if someone's, if they're talking to someone else, I know it. And I feel like that is how we, again, differentiate knowing from trying to invoke a calling which is I know when I saw that, that that was a part of like a massive, the earth could have tilted on its axis a little further Mm. for me. Like, oh, I am waking up to something. I know this. This is mine to go after right now. Me answering the call of that single thread, right? That single note is a part of my role in the collective as well. It becomes my offering. It becomes the medicine that I might use when I'm working with clients or just, again, Mm. As a mother in the suburbs, right? <laughs> right. And maybe the reason, back to a previous question, that it doesn't sound, like the reason it sounds really important to me is because I have not had an easy life. Yeah. So joy is, again, it, joy is not like, huh, it's like everything. At this point in the conversation, we started to talk about another paradox of joy. In order to understand joy, we have to be deeply familiar with the inverse. We know joy because it is in contrast to something else. I love the idea of hard-earned joy and, frankly, the bittersweet nature of our lives. I also wanted to know how to practically chase joy, especially in seasons where it's not easy to find. We kind of jokingly said at the top of this interview that it was funny that we were having this conversation because Hannah said, like, I'm, I'm an A, I take things seriously, I'm like the sad girl music, all of that. And then you've got Elise and I, Elise, who has been mm-hmm. on this, you know, journey of chasing joy, and I think joy is a very um, important thing to me. I'm the Enneagram 7 that just is like, and I think a lot of people can see like happiness, bubbleness, call it that. But I think joy for me and what I've discovered is that it is something that's hard earned. It's something that I have fought for. It's something that I I can come across as like bubbly and excited, but the seasons when I've actually thought of joy, it's been some of the hardest. Mm-hmm. Um, and I remember the first year, like I got married in 2013, everything in my life just like overnight changed, right? Like I moved to a new place. I didn't know anyone. I got married, like 
a bunch of big life change happened. And then in 2014, my word for the year, because I did word for the year at that time, uh, was celebrate. I just felt like that's my word. That's like, I'm like, I'm doing celebrate. It's going to be a year of celebrating a lot of things that I've been putting into action and they're actually happening. And 2014 was one of the hardest years of my life, like down. But I kept coming back to celebrate. And in that year, I learned how to celebrate and how to like harder and find those moments of joy. And so when you had me tap in, like when you said, like, can you tap into a, me- a memory in your body? It was a memory from that year when yes. everything was chaotic, but I just had like joy because I was trying to find it. I was seeking after it. So what are some of these practices where you have learned to chase joy? Like, what does that tangibly look like for you? I would say in a culture that tells us not to do that, right? Like maybe we even title joy is frivolous or naive or, you know, some of those. That's actually the key. So real quick, the the part that you named with joy is contrast, like, right. So there's contrast. That's what makes joy so shiny and sparkly, right? It's like, it's it, we know it because it's in contrast to something else. And so I know that sometimes the container of my grief has also made room for the container of my joy. Right. Mm -hmm. So that's good. I don't doubt for a second that one of the hardest years of your life, you also had these just radical moments of, mm-hmm. oh, that I've got, yeah. I know that now. And I know it because it's in stark contrast yeah. to this other texture and tar-like substance that I've been in. So, And I think that's important that like we have to be able to experience both. I think, I mean, Brene Brown says like if we turn off one emotion, we turn off all of ours. And so like even if we, so I, I've, as Mackenzie said, like am quite comfortable with sadness and grief and um, it's more of my territory that I feel more comfort in. But if we don't, if we turn off those pieces of ourselves, then we can't really also fully experience full joy because that yeah. basin or whatever of the contrast that you were mentioning, like it just is not as deep. It doesn't have the same type of depth and kind of grit to it. And so the the need to like turn on all of the emotions of life and turn on the the depth of our experiences too. Yes. The things people accuse joy of, like you said, like frivolous and naivete, there's a part of me that's like, yes, exactly. We're right on track then. That's so it, when I think of it as a personal practice, it's like, it's that. It's whimsy. It's ridiculous. It's being glitter for Halloween. Um, <laughs> it's a spontaneous, we're going to, let's drive down to the beach instead of coming right home. Joy, it's, you know, we know all the things it's not. It's not stuck. It's not rigid. It's not white knuckling. Mm. It's not holding my breath. There is a naivete to joy. That's what makes it free, right? <laughs> there is a um, frivolousness, ridiculousness to joy. That's what makes it wonderful. So I think, again, all the things we accuse it of are all the very things that we need for it to be what it is. So hmm. sometimes a personal practice like that for me is maybe self-expression through what I might wear. Like just like what what would I do to embody, just stick a feather in my cap, a truly, just what would that be like today just to do something just a little bit ridiculous because a little bit ridiculous is kind of cracking the edges or like, think of it like a creme brulee, like kind of cracking the very top of the rigidity of what is um, the structure of what I have to do today or what people expect Mm. of me or what I expect of me or what my life requires of me. And if I just tap it a little bit, you know, crack it a little bit, maybe it's, and recently it really was, I stuck a feather in my, in my hair. (laughs) <laughs> to to the music I play when I pick up my kids, to 
moving my body like joy? What does joy feel like as a movement? Hmm. And that cracks my experience often. That cracks it into the soft sweetness that's right underneath that shell. What comes up for me around that is that when we do those things, when we add the feather, when we draw, when I go dance on the beach or whatever, the more I like turn, the more I notice and grab a hold of and turn towards joy, I think the way more I turn down the volume of like shame in my life. I think shame is such a thing that like keeps us from experiencing joy because I'm like, well, I'll look silly or I don't know how to draw or I haven't done that since I was a kid or I'm not good at dancing or I can't play soccer or whatever it is. We have all these things that we are so uncomfortable with because of shame. We feel like, oh, someone will laugh at me or whatever. And when we can kind of turn down the volume on that and say like, well, let's try it. Or like, so what? Or what if we did it anyways? Um, And that practice of pushing through that shame and turning that down and not letting that have the power really is key, I think, for me to like turn up the joy and be okay with it and celebrate Mm -hmm. it and then Mm -hmm. start integrating it more. Even though it might be uncomfortable at first, it's like, how do you gain comfortability around it? You just start, you know? Mm. Yes. So what is a really good question? Why not is a really good question for joy. And there's something about spontaneity, creativity, you know, all of those things are in direct opposition to anxiety, right? So it's mm-hmm. you, it's really hard to be both um, creative and anxious or spontaneous and anxious. They're kind of on teeter-totter. And so we can shift that experience by pushing into or offering ourselves that sense of, well, we're cracking through that tension, that surface tension. Yeah. So a practice of spontaneous... Um, just because. Mm. How long do you feel like you've been aware of this piece of you? Has this been something that you've, I mean, we know it's a piece of you that's always there. Mm -hmm. Has this been a practice that's always been easy for you? Have you always noticed joy in your life? What has kind of your journey to embracing this looked like? Mm -hmm. Uh, No. (laughs) 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 When I like, Okay, grief has taken a lot of things from me. Death has taken a lot of things from me. Family tragedy has taken a lot of things from me. Divorce, alcoholism, abuse. There's been a lot of things I feel like I that have taken time from me, taken relationships from me, and taken ease from me, taken naivete from me. When I look Mm -hmm. at like the overarching like themes in my life, I feel like the moment when Cinderella is all ready to go to the ball and then the stepsisters come in and just like mm-hmm. rip it to shreds. Like that's, I felt, I can feel that. Yeah. yeah. Like just when I think like when Mackenzie named, I'm going to have a year of celebration. It's just when I thought it was going to look different. Yeah. Like the worser thing happened. And I wonder sometimes what would have happened if I wouldn't have stumbled across my birth certificate? What if, what would it be yeah. like to not have moments of really divine interruption where it feels like the fork in the road where all of a sudden you, you go this way instead of that way, or you have the red pill versus the blue pill. (laughs) Where And sometimes that happens in a way that's like as simple as finding a birth certificate. Sometimes life forces our hand. I think Hmm. it's how am I going to live the hand I've been dealt? How am I going, how do I respond to tragedy now? Yeah. What do I have to say Mm -hmm. about all of this? Mm. Yeah. And do I know I have a say so no, joy has not always been a part of my lived experience, for sure. And there's also, it feels 
there's an addictive quality to it, like an unignorable quality. I don't know if it's addictive as much as it is. I see it all the time now. Mm. I'm like, oh yeah. Like I, like there's just, it's like you just, I notice it. I notice it a lot. I notice those things and I let myself linger in, in noticing it rather than rushing off to whatever. And again, I could literally be like, I love the sparkles on the ocean. And I just, I love to, I love to watch what, where joy is in nature. Cause it's, you know, so unoffended, <laughs> so mm-hmm. unaffected um, by my human worries. Mm. Shana Nyquist, who is my favorite person, and she's on the podcast, and I quoted her Ooh. in the interview with her. I don't know where yeah, this is going in the order, but <laughs> like literally so I had an interview good. with her last week and I quoted her. But anyway, oh, <laughs> she, so she talks about putting herself in the path of joy. In her last book, mm-hmm. she talked, I was like trying to find the quote, but I couldn't find it in my phone. But she talks about it. She takes it as like really seriously to put herself in the path of joy because it doesn't just happen. Um, and mm-hmm. she calls it like buzzing the beach whenever they're near the beach, like her family jokes that she's going to buzz the beach because she's like, I take it very seriously. It's my job to do that and to find that joy because it doesn't come, you know, we have to, we have to put some effort into it. Right. If we don't see it. And so I think you, even you just talking about noticing it's not something that comes naturally to all yeah. of us. And no. it's a part of being present. I think joy is a very present feeling. We don't mm-hmm. really feel joy yes. in the future or the past. Like it's right now in this moment. Good, mm-hmm. good, good. Mm-hmm. Yes, yes. That was, that's actually, thank you for saying that, Mackenzie. When, Hannah, when you were talking about sh- the shame thing, and if, if we took this all back into an Enneagram context, you know, it's like, yeah. like the four is also not known for joy, right? Let's be clear. Yeah. <laughs> like the four is like the bottom dredges, right? right? So the very, right, it's yeah. right at the existential gap. It's going to fall off the Enneagram next to the right. five, right? Yeah. So right. there's is something about it as a practice. But what I, when I really think if I boil it down, I only have access to joy because it's a part of the human experience, right? Mm. Okay. So as a human, as a, it's within me. I have access to it. Yeah. It's not something I'm making up or manifesting. Mm-hmm. It's not something that I am again, like it's there. So yeah. there is a, there is a birthright quality to it just as like my right to breathe air. Like I can have it and it doesn't take away from others. If I do have it, um, I need it. You know, it's not bad that I need it. Like it's, it's in us, it's there. So when I, I really think that part feels imperative for us to remember is it's not bad. It's not a bad, it's not bad. It's not childish. It's, it's now joy is now it lives in now. Mm. Yeah. And just the inherentness of that, like the way that you talk mm-hmm. about it feels really inviting. And um, like the fact yes. that if my, my joy doesn't take away from your joy, I think it even comes back to what we were talking about earlier. I think to find joy and to be present in your day is a rebellion is It's not serving anyone in Israel if I'm really depressed today. So how do we be affected and hold heavy things and also tap into what you're calling like our birthright to breathe air, to find joy, to to be present with where we are if there is joy there? Because I I feel that way. I think sometimes when Mm -hmm. I read the news or it's like the comparative suffering that we talk about sometimes, like how can I be joyful in this moment if someone – fighting for their life. I yes. think the balance too of like find joy and really take it seriously, whatever yes. it is, X, Y, Z. Like yes. I can be super heavy about something because yeah. it is heavy and it's hard mm-hmm. and this mm-hmm. can affect me, whatever. And yeah. I can find joy in it. And that is my responsibility because I, 
I know it's heavy and it's hard and there's these things I can't control. And right. in my present moment, I can't control some things. Mm-hmm. And it is like helpful for me and my humanity and those I'm in the world with to do what we can to make the space that we inhabit more, I guess, whole. It's not even like mm-hmm. just just joyful. It's like whole. It's rich. It's got all mm-hmm. the complexities of life. It's got the heaviness and the joy mm-hmm. all in one. There's something I like, I love about being Jewish is the, also the way that we grieve. Like it's, um, there's something really stunning about the way Jewish people show up to pain and mourning mm. that again, and maybe that's part of it. it get, there's, there's so much contrast we know and we remember and we go through every year, a series mm-hmm. of really important days that we remember, we remember, we remember and so I, again, I don't feel like I'm, I have to say, oh, I need to be joyful now. I know my joy alongside current yeah. suffering. So yeah. I don't, and I don't think that, again, because joy isn't happiness. I'm not like, oh, I'm going to be happy today. That's not it. It's my container. Joy is my existence, right? I am, I am here. I feel like is my joyful rebellion. I exist still. So in the face of long suffering, in the face of such a tra- says again such tragedy on such a large scale to breathe feels like a joyful rebellion to eat mm. when it feels like I can't stomach what's going on sometimes can feel like a joyful rebellion uh, to to mourn is a joyful rebellion I'm giving myself into what is right now mm. so I think again the more we distinguish what joy is as this living living I I think that we'll we'll just keep knowing. I feel like this conversation is one I want to go back to and listen over and over to catch all the incredible paradigm-shifting ideas Elise shares. In the midst of this interview, I wanted to hear more about the idea of joy existing outside our circumstances. So often, I think we mistake joy for happiness and we throw out disclaimers like, I'll be joyful when, I'll be happy if, but what if that wasn't the case? What if we could just have joy for joy's sake? What if it wasn't dependent upon what happened in the past, what's going to happen in the future, or what is currently happening in our present? Sometimes I think that joy has nothing to do with my story. And Mm. I mean that as a therapist in that I spend majority of my day helping people navigate their story. You know, going into story, we go into story, we go into story. And I'm like, but what if, you know, my story has nothing to do with my joy. And to me, mm. that was what unhooked me from, um, there's plenty of things for me to feel sad about in right. my life. <laughs> Pick one. A large bag to draw from here. And I'm like, you know what? Like, what if, what if everything I've been through has nothing to do with my joy? Because it was there all along, right? It's on my mm. birth certificate. It's, it's, I, so why, why would my story keep me from that? It's not my part of my original design, part of your original design as a human being. And I genuinely believe this is what I have access to there. I am able to experience joy. And then life is happening on a different timeline than my joy because joy is outside of that time. Mm -hmm. But what is my timeline and my story have to do with my joy? What does my Enneagram number have to do with my joy? What if nothing? Mm -hmm. What if I freed it to not have to be stuck to anything else? Yeah. That's good. I think mm. um, 
in my adulthood, one of the first times I feel like I was really awakened to joy was when I did my Living Centered program. And I think it was because of that, because I think it became unattached yes. to my story. Because when you think about it, like at the, in any of our programs, we we dive into story a lot and we dive into yes, moments yes. and theme. We dive into all of that. And you would think like, I'm going to cry the entire week and this is going to be yep. shitty and like it's going to be mm. so hard and all that. And and it, I cried totally. a lot. I'm not going to ignore that. But I, after I would leave my therapy room or even within, it's like, I've never had so much fun. Like I mm -hmm. laughed harder than ever. I felt more, maybe I didn't know the words, but I felt way more in touch with my inner child than I ever have in my life. I played games and I danced yes. and I sang songs and I literally laid in the grass and looked at stars. And like, mm -hmm. I felt joy. And because it was not, it didn't have to be in spite of my story. It didn't have to be because I had done some of the stuff. It's just like, I, I was looking for it. I found it. I chose it. I engaged with it. And so like, we all, I love that we've continually kind of gone back to like, we all have it. We all have this mm -hmm. access to it because I think so many people, like you said, have a story that would say like, pick from the hat of like all the shit mm -hmm. that's happened in my life. And I wish I could take that away from people because I, it's it's just sad that people have to go through all these experiences. But mm -hmm. aside from that, like, I think sometimes it feels like I can't be joyful because X, Y, Z, or like, that sounds nice, but like, you don't know what I've been through. So I think that's mm -hmm. like such a good reminder of like, no, we all have it. We all have it available. It's within us already. And so like just creating the space, learning how to look for it and learning how to choose it is so important. It, when I think about story in the context of onsite as well, because we story ourselves as a result of our experiences, right? So we story that like, oh, I, you know, I am sad, yeah. I am this, I am right. that. Um, and it's like, so then, okay, then keep going with it. Then, then what's your next story? What's your joy story? Yeah. You know, like, what is the next thing? So I'm not, I love story and I love how story heals us, you know? Right. And we have inherited stories and we, we sometimes script ourselves into the same experience again and totally. again and again. And a joy is such an interrupter, right? Mm -hmm. It interrupts the story, it interrupts the process, it interrupts the way it's gone. I think that's why it feels so essential to me is that joy is such a counter narrative to grief, to stress, to trauma, right? Mm -hmm. So it lets everything else breathe. So I don't doubt for a second that at a living centered program, someone who can face the deepest trauma is now also able to clearly identify my deepest joy, right? Because that's, mm -hmm. we're just kind of pulling it apart, pulling it apart. It's like, oh, oh, it's less messy and sticky here. Right. I see it. Oh, now if I can, the sustainable piece to me is heaven. How am I able to continue to identify, access, and approach it without it having to be contained by a practitioner, a therapist, a program, or whatever, because mm -hmm. it's, no one owns joy. Right. Yeah. And life is life. And we can't mm -hmm. all live on campus and have these experiences totally. all the yes. time. We have right. responsibilities and jobs and families. And so how do we, I love that kind of encouragement of how do we do it? How do, because we can, like we don't, mm -hmm. it's great to have guidance from therapists and coaches and counselors, yeah, sure. but it's like, but also we have the tools inside of us to do it. Yeah. Well, that's, yeah. that's the integration piece to me is I'm like, that's my growing up. It's, and that's when I, I shift from a naive child experiencing joy to an adult in my living experience of joy is I realize it's mm. mine. It's mine mm. to have today. So maybe I drink out of the most ridiculous coffee mug today. And again, the reason I'm saying the small thing is because 
if we override the tiny minuscule moment of joy, it's really, can you imagine how much harder it is to like get the whole elephant, right? It's a bite at a time. It's a, it's a moment at a time. It's a, it's a tiny little secret with you and God or the universe or however you understand divinity, right? It's like, um, Oh, maybe that was just for me today. Like, it's just something that Mm. small doesn't, that becomes, it's a seed, right? That becomes the whole big thing later on as well, but don't write off the tiny joy. It it Mm -hmm. does. It's an ember. It's a spark. It's, it's that cracking of the creme brulee. It's just a little something is a little wedge in our experience that allows, Oh, a little more. Oh, a little more crack. Oh, look, Hey, look, (laughs) here I am. Like, Oh, it's different here. Mm. Yeah. So sometimes the examples are small because it's the way in. Mm-hmm. That's so good. Something that I was thinking about when you guys were talking, what it brought up for me was, I feel like I was able to tap into the joy in a different way when I was in Living Center because of the anonymity. Like I was just there for me. I was just Mackenzie. I wasn't someone's mom. I wasn't someone's spouse. I wasn't someone's employee. I wasn't someone's friend. It was just me. And I think mm-hmm. sometimes you spoke to some of the roles that you have in your life as a mm-hmm. mother and how that can impede your joy, or it feels like a rebellion to choose joy in motherhood. So can you speak a little bit to the different roles that we wear and, and how that can impede our joy and what we can practically oh, yeah. do with that? Yeah. Taking it from a motherhood piece, how do you do that? I think I'm just fascinated by this one mm-hmm. role that you have that all around you, you're not seeing examples of people choosing to be joyful in this. And I think about like, how do we be joyful in our work? Like there's, mm-hmm. well, if we don't see that around us, if you're in a environment where it's really toxic or everyone's like got their nose to the ground, yes. it's hard to do that, right? Oh, yeah. Okay, so that's where I'm like, I will not do that. Like I I yeah. will, I like refuse the, um, well, for one, I'm not going to martyr my motherhood. Hmm. Mm. This is the, again, this is goes from the journey from the naivete of a child being joyful on Christmas morning to being the adult who puts the Christmas presents under the tree and I know how it all works and it is still the joy, okay? Hmm. So I'm a grown-up in my, in my agency and so my ability to be a mother in agency is what allows me my joy. So when, and I'm in the present moment. Now, my husband's also a first responder, so I do a lot of things on my own. So it would be very easy for me to be like, <sighs> oh, like, 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 and don't get me wrong. That was yeah. last week. <laughs> last week yeah. I'm like, yeah. home. <laughs> I right. have too many children and too many practices <laughs> to get them to. So <laughs> there's those like, life is real and stressful and chaotic. Yeah. It exists. And what am I going to do about it? Am I going to be dragged along by my motherhood for the next eternity? (laughs) Because it's forever. Or if I am embodying joy, if that's a journey I've been on, it's pursuing and chasing joy, then I'm also the adult in my family right now. I am not the child. I am the mom. Mm -hmm. So it is also, it's within my agency, within my choice to introduce it as an ingredient to my family system. Okay. That does not mean that it's, this is not gratitude. It's not, it's not like, BS like that. Do you know what I mean? I'm not like, what are you grateful for today? Like, that's not it. That's not the same thing. I want to be in a journey to discover joy with my children. I am a, I am a, a pointer outer of things. Hmm. Um, I am a sojourner with them on that. But if I lose touch with my agency, I've given it all away. I'm just giving my time away, my life away, my thinking away. So when I come back into right relationship with my agency and my right nowness, 
I feel like a ton more access to joy because I have choice. Mm. So that might mean we're skipping practice today. You know what? Yeah. <laughs> Can't do it all. Guess what we're not doing? That. No one's ever, the world's going to keep turning. Yeah. That we missed all those things. And you know what? Let's go. We're going to go get some ice cream because this is, this was our moment today and everyone was okay. So sometimes I think about like, what is the hurt in the, in the motherhood for you? Or what is the rub that feels oppressive? What is the thing that feels overwhelming or overbearing? Do you have any agency within that? And if so, what would the medicine look like here? Mm-hmm. So what's the hurt or the rub? Where is your agency and what would the medicine be? So does something need to change? Do I need to not have my kids go to so many practices hmm. just today or always? That's a good distinction. Yeah. Cause that's, we don't go to, to get ice cream every time things are hard. Right. I mean, <laughs> no, it's not prescriptive either. Cause joy isn't rigid. It's not fixed. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. But now we're back into prescription. So joy is spontaneity. It's quantum potential, right? It's living. Yeah. So it's um, what I can do now. And then I might need to make some adjustments and shifts because guess what? I'm the adult. I'm an agency and I can. Yeah. Yeah. But joy is a value for our family, for my family here. It's really important that we have joy, that we have things that are ridiculous and silly and funny and ours that there's stories for them to tell about joy too. Mm. That's good. I have a question that might out me as really judgmental. Um, I'm ready for it. I'm I'm curious, like, when you said like, oh, what's the hurt, the rub there? Mm -hmm. I'm curious for people that maybe have a hard time cheering on other people's joy, like what questions to ask ourselves or what things to notice or what pause to have? Because I think sometimes it's like, I can see somebody having a great time and be like, well, must be nice. Or like, well, they don't have X, Y, Z or whatever. And I'll be the first to say that. Like I do that sometimes, like, because it's like, my life doesn't look like that right now. Like it doesn't feel joyful. And so like, what is the thing to pay attention in ourselves to say like, hey, what's going on for me here? Like what's kind of the questions to get started there to identify yeah. what's internally happening? Mm. Oh, I feel that question. I'm, I'm so glad you asked it mm. because I think that there's like, our, that's just our longing, right? Our longing returns us home. Our longing is our homecoming. And so there are, we will each long for something that we're seeing in someone else. That's what reminds us, like, that's my homecoming. So is it someone's Mm. joy? Is that the thing that makes you thirst or hunger? Is it someone's partnership? You're like, oh, if my marriage could, you know, whatever. Someone's job. So whatever the thing that you kind of see, oh, that's the thing and whatever. You think it makes you crunchy, you know, it's like, okay. But if we took the crunch and it was like, it's not just the crunch. What it is is it's longing and Mm. it's actually I'm really soft there Mm. that's why I get kind of crunchy or hard is because it's actually really soft so I harden myself and then I get a little you know yeah yeah so if I softened and realized that I have longing and there's an unmet need there Mm. then could I tend to that unmet need or that wound What, what do I see now that I'm not now berating myself for wanting yeah. Mm. So if joy is the thing, then I might get curious and wonder like, oh, like where or what within me 
is lonely, that doesn't know how, what is the act, what's the actual wound? Because then we know how to attend. Is it that I feel like I can't have it? Is it that my brain chemistry has been affected by complex trauma and I need other mm-hmm. supportive things to, to help mm-hmm. me now? Yeah. Is it that I'm on the brink, the brink of breakthrough? Mm-hmm. So sometimes I actually need to get so crunchy and so hard that something breaks because something's got to change in my life. Yeah. So I try not to like accuse ourselves of our human process. It's usually there to teach us or lead us to the next breakthrough. Mm. That's good. That's very kind. Yeah. I know. It just makes me want to yeah. give myself a hug, you know? Oh, yeah. yeah. Kindness is like this. That's, our, that's how we heal, right? That's mm-hmm. how we um, become soft. And we can only become soft if we're safe. And that's how healing can happen. Otherwise, our healing is also traumatic, right? Mm. And it's not getting to those deeper layers. So soft is in relationship to safe. And safe means I'm, I can actually have shift. Yeah. Mm. That's good. Elise. This is so mm. good. I just didn't know where this was going to go today. And I think I it went to such a beautiful, <laughs> kind place. And I'm just really grateful. I'm really grateful mm-hmm. for the reframe that you gave us all. I'm really grateful for the way that it will just change the way that I think about joy as something that I don't have to earn, that it's just like my birthright. Yeah. Yes. Um, that I get to just exist yeah. and expand into that. That's what I'm taking today. Yeah. And let her lead the way. Mm. That's the thing. She's she like, you're... The person, the child, the adult, the inner you, the inner joy, <laughs> she knows the way. Mm. She knows joy. She knows what she, she knows what it feels like. She knows what it tastes like. She knows what it is. So just let her let her lead. Let her let her find mm-hmm. your way forward in that. And we trust. We have a working relationship with with that part of us that's still right there, right underneath the surface. Mm. What a gift. You guys, thank you for letting me remember and think and I'm just consider this human experience alongside you. It just, I just love sitting here with you. <laughs> Thank you. I loved it. Me it was too. so good. It's been so good Thank for you. me. And yeah, just such a beautiful invitation. Thanks for listening to the Living Center podcast. If you're enjoying the show, we'd love for you to consider leaving us a review or rating on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever else you listen. It only takes a few seconds to navigate to the show in your app and select the stars to begin your rating. It helps more people find the show and we really appreciate it. Thanks so much.